You're listening to Conversations, brought to you by TechSquare ATL. All right, sitting here with Peter Evans, who's the Vice President of the Center for Global Enterprise. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. So let's start with the Center for Global Enterprise. What is it? The Center for Global Enterprise is a new think tank that's been um, established just in the last year and a half um, by the former CEO of IBM, Sam Palmisano. He was the chairman and CEO um, from 2002 to 2012, and in his retirement, he decided to create a a new venture, which is a center, um, a think tank devoted to the study of the global enterprise. So how did you get there? What was the, all of a sudden, just you're sitting there watching TV one day, and then boom, you get the invitation? Not exactly. Um, These kinds of jobs don't pop up all the time, but you know, you have a a network and people ask uh, and... um, uh, they found me and offered me a job. Prior to that, I was leading strategy for GE, um, first at GE Energy, which was based in Atlanta, which brought me to Atlanta from Boston. And then I spent a year at corporate um, doing um, both analytics, um, kind of big picture view. I did scenario planning as well as uh, big thought leadership papers. The, I wrote a paper called The Industrial Internet for GE. Hmm. So do you have an academic background? Are you a professor somewhere, or you've just always been kind of in the corporate strategy? I spent uh, too many years in academia. Um, I have a master's and a PhD from MIT. Uh, I focused largely on uh, uh, politics, uh, international relations. Um, My my PhD is in political science. Um, Always very interested in, uh, in the intersection between government and industry. So the, the Center for Global Enterprise is is really got a lot of different facets to it. It's fascinating here and uh, as we were, we were preparing for this conversation, uh, the different elements and different things you're going for. So what exactly do you mean by global enterprise and what are the facets that you guys are looking at? Sure. So today, um, to... To, to, to be a firm that is engaged in, in, in sales and um, production, um, in the production of goods and services, I mean, you can be domestic, and there's quite a number of firms that just serve a domestic market, but increasingly with globalization, technology change, the size and scale that firms can reach now, uh, you have quite a number of firms that are truly global. And in fact, if you take the 500 largest companies in the world and you aggregate their annual revenues, uh, you come up with a very big number of about $31 trillion. So they're a big chunk of the global economy, but they're they're complicated to run. Um, being able to do business in multiple jurisdictions around the world, big firms like GE and and uh, IBM will um, do business in more than 200 companies around uh, countries around the world. And so, as a consequence, you have lots of challenges. So, the um, the idea that Palmisano had is he faced a lot of challenges as a CEO, and um, he found that there weren't too many places to go and um, bounce ideas off to, to have a, a group of like-minded CEOs that he could engage with uh, as, as peers. Um, and so he decided in, to, in his next venture to establish the Center for Global Enterprise. And if you look around, you'll find that there's quite a number of think tanks that are focused on policy, on economics, on geopolitics, security issues. Um, but there aren't dedicated think tanks focused on the global enterprise. So there's a kind of an interesting gap that we're seeking to fill. And so over the last 
year um, and change, we've been hosting very small private CEO gatherings. Our first one was in China, in which we brought together about eight Chinese CEOs. Fascinating discussion. So we had a dinner and then a a group discussion. Um, We also had one at Stanford University. Um, About 12 CEOs came to that event. And then we had another one at INSEAD outside of Paris. Um, and uh, in t- three weeks from now, we're going to India and have a similar one in India. So these are an opportunity to engage um, a group of CEOs on the challenges of operating um, companies and in the global context. Um, to get their input as to what are big issues that they're confronting that we can uh, hopefully uh, do research and engage. So the other component of CGE is to um, identify leading scholars in universities that um, have great ideas that we can help facilitate and make that connection with um, senior executive teams. Um, So sometimes academia doesn't translate too well into actual management practice, so we're going to try to help build those bridges between these two uh, organizations. You're sharing some pretty eye-opening numbers. I mean, the the Fortune 500 represents a significant chunk of change in terms of annual revenue as well as assets. What gives us an idea of the scale that we're talking about here? Well, global um, GDP is around $75 trillion now. The largest 500 companies have an annual revenue of just over uh, $30 trillion. So you're talking a good proportion of the global economy run by just the largest 500 companies. But they create ecosystems, right? So there are many firms that are connected to those large firms, their whole supply chains um, and things of that nature. So there's kind of this uh, cascading ecosystem that is created. So directly you know, responsible for a significant amount of that GDP, but then indirectly because of the, the ecosystems, you know, I would, I would venture to guess of, of the vast majority of that GDP. Sure. And they um, employ about 65 million people, which on a global scale is only a small fraction of, um, you know, work, work employment. However, they tend to be uh, leaders in their fields, right? So the largest firms tend to hire um, very senior and uh, seasoned uh, people with um, unique skill sets. So you were talking about this idea of um, the firm, uh, you know, from people who have studied kind of businesses and business structure, that firm is a kind of an academic term for the company itself, right? But you're saying that they are an ecosystem as well. So there's there's more literature coming out and looking at at companies as as ecosystems themselves. Um, What what does that mean from um, uh, a perspective of the technology we've got going on here. I mean, you, you've talked about platforms, uh, platform companies. I know that's one of your areas of interest. Help us understand that a little bit more. Sure. So if you go back 100 years or so, um, it was really around building scale. And America was actually at the forefront of innovations around organizational structures with companies like U.S. Steel, um, Ford Motor Company, GM. They really um, pushed the envelope on how you build um, organizational structures and business units that allow you to reach um, very large scale for mass production. 
What's interesting now is that new technologies are breaking down some of the transaction costs that traditionally brought things inside the firm. So it was more efficient to have um, things take place inside the firm. Today, with uh, digital technologies, you can actually have more arm's length transactions. So you think about companies like Uber, they don't own the physical assets. They don't own the vehicles, right? Um, which is very different from the traditional firms, which would bring all of those assets inside the firm. Also, they don't directly employ uh, the drivers. Um, and so the boundaries of the firm are shifting. And so these companies, we call them platform companies, are an interesting manifestation of changes that are taking place in technology that allow for new configurations about how you assemble um, resources. Hmm. And that's fascinating to think, you know, as a consumer, you, you use the app Uber, but um, now all of a sudden you've got a company that doesn't have to employ all these people, uh, doesn't have to own the assets, but yet facilitates a marketplace. Um, what are the advantages of that? Well, um, you can get tremendous scale. So Uber is an interesting example where it's a relatively new firm. It's only been around since uh, 2008. But today, um, it now operates in 45 countries and about 190 cities. So going to that scale in that amount of time in a traditional firm probably wouldn't have been possible. But today, with digital technologies, you're facilitating a market transactions rather than employing all those people uh, directly. Airbnb is another interesting example. Airbnb, um, similar in terms of age, uh, it was founded around 2007. I think. Um, it operates now in 34,000 cities around the world, and it's facilitating transactions rather than... Um, and then the App Store now with Apple, it's facilitating a whole ecosystem of developers that are building applications that now sit on the Apple uh, App Store. Right? And so these platforms are facilitating new value creation, but in interesting ways that um, are different from the way that firms in the past built and created value. And one of the, these platform companies that you, you, you've really enjoyed uh, is LinkedIn. So w what is LinkedIn doing uh, that really dovetails with what you've been talking about? So um, LinkedIn started um, back earlier than Uber and Airbnb. I think it started around 2003, 2004, with only uh, 10 people. But they have, and this is the other thing about platforms, they have these very powerful network effects in that the more people that join the platform, the more powerful they become. And so you hit these inflection points. And uh, LinkedIn has now um, exceeded more than 330 million people on their platform. So they've hit that inflection point of having that uh, huge value creation, and it's now allowing them to move into new areas. So they've become a channel not just for helping people match um, employers with people with skills, that job matching function, but they're now um, creating all sorts of new avenues. You may have seen the new influencer um, initiative they have where they have very senior CEOs like uh, Branson and, and Jeff Emelt um, on their platform, but they've also become news channels. So they've bought Pulse, uh, which channels news, and they also are encouraging their members to create news. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, also companies now um, often push 
uh, content through the LinkedIn device. So now you don't need to necessarily go to uh, a traditional newspaper to find out what a company is doing or to the television. You can actually go to LinkedIn and get that information directly. And depending on how you build your network, um, you can cater and curate it in such a way that you're um, collecting the information that's most interesting and relevant to what you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And you, you, well, I guess the, the, the other thing that you, you showed me that I thought was fascinating was looking at the Fortune 500 uh, over a, a time span and seeing uh, the portion of that 500 that was in China versus that was in India. And then certainly from a global enterprise perspective, uh, that was some interesting insight. What did you find when you compared that? Yeah. So, I mean, that's been an evolution for me as well. I used to be a big picture macro and geopolitical, and now I'm going down to the firm level. And you can see some really interesting um, things that are taking place when your unit of analysis shifts from the nation down to the firm. Um, You know, a a common assumption is, is that both India and China are rising players on the global stage, right? But when you strip it away and you look at the biggest companies, you find that just in the last number of years, since 2007, China has added 95 companies to the global 500 list. Mm. Uh, So tremendous growth from about 29 Mm -hmm. to 95 today, whereas India has only grown from seven to eight. Mm. So it shows a massive difference between the trajectories, and that raises some interesting questions. Do you need big firms to be able to grow your economy uh, over time? Another interesting fact that I didn't know until I did this analysis is that the highest concentration of big company CEOs in the world now is in Beijing. Beijing. Yeah, there are 52 CEOs running companies with revenues of more than $22 billion a year in Beijing. Hmm. Quite the cluster, and I think um, I think the, la- the last thing I, I certainly wanted to touch on in our conversation was, you know, you you charted out these VC investments in uh, platform companies, and what was what did you see as you as you charted that out over time, and what was the the key differentiator? Well, it's interesting to see that. Um, you know, these platform companies have been studied for their ability to um, create and capture value in unique ways and some of the boundary issues and the network effects. Um, but there's also interesting changes that take place with technology. So, for example, in the transportation space, you see that prior to 2008, the only company really um, that attracted VC funding in the transportation sector was Zipcar. Zipcar, by the way, was recently purchased by Avis. Um, so the uh, <laughs> it's interesting that the uh, rental car rental in, in industry is, is moving into that space. But after 2008, there was a huge influx of money. Almost $4 billion went into app development in the transportation space. Uber captured a big ch- chunk of that. Um, but there are a lot of other companies um, that have attracted money on a global basis in this space. There's the Uber-like companies all around in a different country. There are. There are actually, um, we, we think Uber is the only one out there, but that's not the case. There's more than 30 of these app companies. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a fascinating insight is that this, this is not a U.S.-only thing. No, this is, actually, this is happening in every single continent. In fact, um, they're popping up in Africa, Southeast Asia, India, Latin America, all over uh, the world. Um, there's kind of this race happening, but the the, the real switch or the uh, inflection point in terms of um, the growth of these apps and these platforms has really been the introduction of the cell phone. So Zipcar was really a um, 
a business model that was PC-based. You went to schedule your ride, right? Now with the cell phone, uh, the smartphones, um, it's opened up new opportunities to geolocate people. So it was a combination of the smartphone plus the mapping capability that opened up this potential. So that's opened my eyes to thinking about, well, if we look into the future and if we have some insight into what are the next technology uh, waves that are come, then you may begin to think, well, what will the new platforms go, uh, will be in the next 10, 15 years? Hmm. Uh, it's been a really fun conversation. We can go on for hours, uh, and this is because we're just touching the, the tip of this iceberg, Peter. But um, what's, what's a good way for people to find you if they're interested more uh, you know, in, in terms of what you're producing, but also uh, learn more about the Center for Global Enterprise? Sure. So the Center for Global Enterprise is based in New York. Um, I'm... At, in Atlanta, I'm at ATDC, the the uh, tech center on the fourth floor. Um, anybody's well, more than welcome to come by and see me um, when I'm in town. I I bop around and travel quite a bit, but uh, we have a website. Um, which is the Center for Global Enterprise, and I'm uh, pretty active on LinkedIn and now Twitter. So. Um, Welcome to have followers uh, and keep up the conversation and engage. And it's a new think tank, so we're very open and uh, interested in everybody's uh, ideas. Well, we'll be certain to include all those links in our show notes so people can get it on our blog when they're listening to this. So, uh, Peter, really enjoyed it. Thanks for coming in. Sure thing. It was fun. Thanks. TechSquare ATL is a media studio connecting you to the heart of Atlanta's tech community. Copyright Sandbox Communities, LLC.